Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. taken to the showers and I remember that moment very well Omar and I were both in the showers at the same time they were like different compartments we're both quite tall so we're we're seeing over the stall so as we're showering we can see each other's faces and we're talking and we're showering and we're like can you believe what's happening it was a very surreal moment like just having this like warm like hot water of the shower just kind of on our bodies you know, washing away the soul, almost like washing away all the muscular pain, all the memories. This meditative moment was happening aboard the ship that rescued them, the Kafalonia. After hours of battling with the elements trying to stay alive, Omar Noor and Omar Samra were finally rescued. But they didn't want their experience to just disappear into the past. Even in their delirious state, they had the foresight to know that everything they've just been through would eventually matter. It had to matter. I pulled out my phone and I opened uh, notes and I began writing, um, with Omar's help, I began writing like all the things that happened, uh, not just that day, but since we got onto the boat. And the reason is we just didn't want to forget the details. We didn't want to embellish. And then when we finished this, this sense of almost like relief of having unloaded all of this, right? Uh, like having almost, it, it was almost therapeutic, right? Of, of like having, okay, cool. It's not, we're not going to lose it. Like, it's fine, right? Like, we're not going to lose it. This need to document a pivotal moment in our lives, this human impulse to have it recorded, archived, forever in existence, you could see this instinctively kick in for the Amars. It makes you think. What is it about death-defying feats that drive us to care so deeply about how our accounts of them live on? It was just an amazing feeling just to be given like another life, you know, just another lease on life that we would look back on our lives and in some respect think about it as 
you know, our life before the, this day and the, our life after it because we didn't want to lose sight of what we felt and what we were thinking at that time. Suddenly, just like that, the capsize and the series of unfortunate events were all in the past. They are now indoors, sheltered from the cold and the salt water. The crew give them fresh dry clothes and offer them food and coffee. The ship was still rocking against the angry waves. But it's a stark difference between the chaos of the capsize and the relative calm of their onboard refuge. These few moments of getting ready to go to sleep and being alone with my thoughts. When something so amazing happens to you and you just shake your head in disbelief, that feeling, you know, it was just this crazy sense of gratitude and happiness and euphoria. Gratitude, relief, disbelief. What do these emotions really mean in the aftermath of the Omar's experience? And what about during their darkest hours in the ocean, when they yearned for solace? What thoughts and feelings did they tap into to carry them through? In this final chapter of our story, we explore the human condition to seek hope and guidance when our mortality is threatened, sometimes from greater powers beyond our physical means. We look at what happens in the mind during moments that test our human spirit and why some of us need these deeply transformative events in our lives to have meaning. I'm Lubna Munib, and from Kerning Cultures Network, this is State of Mind, a deeper dive into the chilling true story of survival documented in the film Beyond the Raging Sea. Episode 6, A Conversation with Something Bigger. Throughout this series, we've reflected with the Omars about how this journey shaped their relationship with nature, with their human capabilities, and with each other. Today, producer Ben Barqawi tries to understand their relationship with spirituality. I'll be honest, I had no idea where to begin with such an intangible concept. Spirituality is so vast and varied, entirely individualized for each and every one of us. Where do we even start the conversation? So I tugged at a thread, this idea of helplessness, and let it take us wherever it takes us. Here's Omar Samra. The problem with the row, different from climbing, different from other situations in life, is that you're already in the ocean, you're already at the mercy of the ocean. So once you're there, if the situation continues to worsen, to you it's just come what may. Like you're just in the middle of it, you're this tiny thing in this huge body of water. Whatever is happening is just going to happen to you. You can't flee it. You can't escape from it. You can't hide from it. You're just going to have to just to hunker down and, and take it. The moment that the capsize happens, you have zero control. You are being taken for a ride. Mother Nature is saying, buckle up. Here you go, right? And you're just hanging on and, and, and you feel completely powerless. You feel insignificant. You feel like you're a speck. You feel like you do not matter. And you realize whether you die or, or, or get banged up or, or, or don't die, it doesn't change anything in the universe or in the world. To think of ourselves as tiny, helpless creatures existing with and against this massive entity, it's humbling, but it's also terrifying. So how do we build a bridge from this point of fear to spirituality? big part of spirituality is creating this 
a narrative for ourselves that we believe in, and it might change as we go along in life, that once we feel that we are really afraid or in danger, we, we go back to that to seek you know, comfort. A lot of people get pushed to spirituality when they're in fear. When humans are at their weakest point, when they lose all hope, they want to hold on to something. That adrenaline that, that comes from sheer fear, right? Like sheer fear of dying. And so these, the focus really needed to be for me to be, um, I needed to act and I needed to act quickly. And as long as I'm acting also, there is hope. But hope in itself is not necessarily the same thing as spirituality. Think of it as more of a vehicle. Psychologist Dr. Daniel Tomasulo is an academic director at the Spirituality Mind-Body Institute at the Teachers College in Columbia University, where he gives courses on hope and positive psychology. He breaks down the difference exactly. If you look at the three things like uh, hope, optimism, and faith, we use those terms sort of interchangeably. But the truth is they each mean something very different when you go to measure them and study them. So as an example, um, hope is the um, regulation of your perception toward a belief that you have control in the future. In other words, it's the belief that there's something you can do to influence what's going to happen. Optimism ultimately is a general sense things will work out. There's no sense that I'm going to make it happen. It's just, I believe it's going to work out. But when you get to spirituality, now you're talking about faith. And that's where you believe something greater than you is going to take care of the details. It's going to make something happen, right? It's not just what I can do. It's not just what I think might happen in general. But it's that I've relinquished that sense of control to something greater. I'm a person that focuses very much on the things that I can control, right? And on and I and I let go and I accept very quickly the things that I cannot control. That experience showed me that even though I focused on these things, there were moments when I reached for something greater than myself. Even during the, the row itself, I had different voices that I spoke to. So I spoke to my brother, and he knows how to like solve things and never gives up. You know, Fleur, my fiance, she was she's like she's British and she's tough and she's like, you know, you know, get on with it. And my mom, she's the one that like would wake me up. These conversations, I know they're not there, right? I know, I know these individuals are not there, right? So these conversations, who are they with? They're with my, you know, my concept of these individuals that matter a lot in my life and give me what I need in those specific moments. A person could say, well, you're talking to a higher power, right? Just with different voices. Is that intentional? Like, do you intentionally kind of jog your mind to find those voices no, not at all. They absolutely 100% just come to me. It fascinated me that he didn't actively seek it, that it just sort of washed over him. It occurred to me that we as humans almost automatically, physiologically comfort ourselves, especially when we're teetering between life and death. 
you know, you're at this point where like, you know, things are getting very desperate and you start to realize like really clearly in a, in a big way, the, the fragility and impermanence of life that you, you know, this could be the end. After the capsize, when we were kind of like, you know, we were still in do mode, like, you know, we can still self-ride the boat. We can still, you know, continue this race. But then there was a moment, distinct moment when we were like, we could die here. That was the first time I realized like, this isn't just like a, something that's happening to me and then, you know, one day I'm going to tell that story. This could be the end and then I will never ever get to tell that story. It's just, it, it's it's done for. I think I tapped into something like deep, 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 deep inside myself like um, that believed that things are going to be okay. Despite of the storm, like that was the feeling that I wanted to keep holding on to. It struck me as odd at first that hope would show up at this most hopeless moment. But then Dr. Thomas Zulo explained to me that when it comes to hope, this actually makes complete sense. If you look at positive emotions and negative emotions, right, these things are on opposite ends of the spectrum. But with hope, um, hope wouldn't exist if there wasn't negativity or uncertainty to activate it. It's the only positive emotion that requires something not be okay for it to be stirred. So the catalyst for transformation is embedded in the negativity. Then a picture of hope emerges that's actually very, very, very cool because you see that, yes, at the very base of it is uncertainty and negativity. Then the very next layer is you look for resources. You know, what is it that I can do or bring to this situation that will help me? You might not be in control, but you do have a say. It's not about taking control. It's about movement. It's about forward movement. Because without that movement, it doesn't matter Whatever powers want to help you, whether physical or supernatural, nothing is going to help you if you're not helping yourself. You got to give yourself a chance. If I decide at that very point that this is something that I um, believe has been already written or I will actually be writing it as I go, in both cases, it's up to me to do everything that I can in my power to survive the situation. If we believe in spirituality, then, you know, the word spirituality comes from spirit, which is, you know, something that would exist within us until that soul sort of departs. And it means that everything that you need is inside you, right? The solutions don't come from the outside. It's about the flexibility. There has to be a, a, a trust but verify phenomenon. If we go back to, you know, them being... Uh, lost, right, at sea, and they have all of this. The chances are, if we somehow analyze their brain during that time, that we, they would be generating lots of different solutions, right? They, and they would probably have more ideas than what they actually tried. Spirituality, to me, always seemed so elusive, something you can't touch or feel or identify. But as I heard Dr. Tomasulo and the Omas talk more, it seemed so practical, so methodical. There's almost, dare I say, a science behind it. There's a really cool phenomenon called dialectical thinking. 
uh, which basically means that you're, there are two things that are opposite. It's a principle in psychology that refers to that tension or balance between these contradictory truths, where a greater realization can sometimes emerge. When it's life and death, they're as opposite as they can be, meaning that there has to be a part of you letting go of what doesn't work at the same time grabbing on to other possibilities. It's not the letting go or the grabbing on that works. It's the capacity to do both simultaneously because you have to keep assessing in what's called the dialectical way that uh, uh, I have to keep moving or I'll die. That's where this idea of hope continually gets stirred up because there's something negative constantly activating something that brings persistence to the table. Throughout the show, the Omas have time and time again shown how thoughtful they had been through the thick and thin of the row. Always well prepared, calm and composed. But I couldn't help but wonder, what happens when there really wasn't any more they could do? When their only choice was to give in and accept their fate? When you're able to let go, is essentially you're saying that, um, you know, so much of what happens is beyond your control and... It's not, there's a, there's a very thin line between complacency and apathy and not doing anything and doing your absolute best, but also accepting that the outcome is beyond your control. Like those are very two different things that almost sometimes could seem like they're the same thing. So succumbing, surrendering, um, that's like complete hopelessness where there's nothing for you left to do. That is You know, I, I didn't get that feeling. I got it for a fleeting moment during the capsize, that adrenaline dump that I was waiting for, right? That gives you superhuman strength is gone. And all of a sudden, my body starts to shake. And all of a sudden, I'm cold. I'm freezing. This was when they were sitting in a life raft, after they had pretty much done everything they could do. And now there is very little movement for you to do. Very few things for you to do. That was probably, in my opinion, the lowest point uh, in, 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 in our entire journey because you were sitting waiting, quote-unquote, to die. Or you were sitting waiting to be rescued, but regardless, you did not know which one it was. I think people surrender in different ways. There's a, there's a point at which I have to let go. And I don't have any more control. So I'm going to do everything I can to have control. And then I got to let go. I think of it more like that type of surrender, where hope is a bridge toward um, spiritual awakening. That if you do what you can do, uh, that's going to release you into picking up God's grace or, you know, the universal theme or tome. You know, it's, it's your part and that part. In the lack of any physical movement to do, I tried to find mental movement, right? And that's when, we, you know, I was talking about my favorite food, my favorite Egyptian foods, and how Omar would have to take me to my favorite restaurant in, in, in Cairo. And it's almost like two friends that were sitting down in a coffee shop somewhere talking about where they're going to go have lunch, right? That sense of normality, people talk about praying, right? Because praying, in, in, in many ways, when you feel hopeless in any situation in your life, praying is movement. 
praying is doing something. You actually see this very clearly in Beyond the Raging Sea, when the captain of the Kefalonia, Fahad Talqan, in the middle of the rescue operation, leaves the deck to call his wife and tells her to pray for him, that he's got two souls in his hands and their lives depend on him. There it is. Prayer, peace of mind, movement. It may not have been the exact action that saved Omar's lives, but it was part of the whole experience. And maybe that counts for something. That very instant that the capsize happened, I remember two thoughts, very powerful, immediate thoughts. And it was a conversation with with something bigger than myself, saying, no, 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 not like this. I don't want to die like this. This is not the way I pictured it. Not like this. The second thing was, what have you just done to your family? Even though Omar Noor says these were mostly passing notions that he largely cast aside, I think of these moments on the water, when the Omars so decidedly stated what would and would not happen, even if it was just in their thoughts. Let's say then that spirituality is a process, with hope at its root, with movement as its driver, and acceptance as its facilitator. Is it enough to allow us to will things into existence? To save us from death, for example? Even if I believe in a larger force and I believe in, you know, that there's a you know grand design and everything like that, I don't believe that I am special in any way. Like, if I plead, you know, why would that make a difference? I don't think there's any one answer to that question. But to some degree, our imaginations can be more powerful than we think. Like in this little experiment Dr. Talmasulo tried with me. Close your eyes and imagine that you smell just the slightest hint of a lemon. Very slight lemony smell in the air. And... As you look around, you see a whole lemon on a small dish in front of you. And if you approach the lemon, the smell gets just a little stronger. Just imagine all that. And if you were to cut that lemon in half and watch the juice of the lemon go on to the plate, Imagine that you could smell it just a little bit more. Now, if you pick up half of that lemon and put it under your nose and take a big, big sniff of it, smell that lemon, and now bite right into that lemon, grind your teeth into it, bite into it, grind it into it, and now open your eyes. Did you produce saliva? Oh my God, I did. (laughs) You did. That's right. Whoa. Here's the deal. No lemon, no smell, no dish, no knife, no juice. And yet, just with your imagination, you change the biochemistry of your body. If you have ruminating intrusive negative thoughts all the time, what do you think that's doing to your body? Dr. Tomasulo asks me to try the same exercise, only this time to imagine the emotions between myself and someone I loved. And think about the area in your body that got affected. 
Nobody points to the back of their knee. No, nobody does it. It's your heart. And the reason why is because oxytocin was released. The love hormone, the bonding hormone, the connection hormone. As one of my students so eloquently put it, we have a choice between lemons and lovers. And it's all a matter of choice because the truth is both things are true. Whatever works, right? Some people call it God. Some people call it spirituality. Some people call it, you know, uh, the universe, the galaxy. Um, call it what you will. It is a. It is something that is bigger than you uh, that allows you to feel comfort. You know, it doesn't exist physically. You can't see that 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 entity. But 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 that allows you to go back and forth, right? Do you want to look at your life as you know everything just happens as random? You know, great. I don't have any evidence to refute that. But I could just easily decide to think of it as potentially it's not all random and potentially there is a reason behind things happening. And that's a nicer um, narrative to, to believe. Or vice versa. In other words, Alma says, whichever reasoning brings us the most comfort is the one we're most likely to align ourselves with. We came into this episode with the premise that spirituality is different for everybody. I asked the Omars to tell me how they would describe it for themselves. Spirituality for me is the the experience of being uh, present, like in this life of of experiencing your life as it is happening to you. It sometimes manifests in my body that I f- that I feel like a a vibrational rush of energy like through my spine especially that's the only sort of like or at least as as I'm talking now the, the only thing I can remember um, as a, like a, a physical like you know manifestation of these um, these like you know I would say let's say deeply spiritual moments or, or moments of connection you know gratitude people tend to say that comes from the heart Okay, cool. Acceptance, right? Like for me, acceptance is like, it, for me, acceptance is a very, it comes from the brain. When it comes to spirituality, you cannot point at a part in the body, right? It is more, it affects your soul. It affects your aura. It is a warm, it is a warm feeling. It's a feel, feeling of comfort and warmth and security. It's a blanket for your soul. Is there a way to explain spirituality scientifically? I think the question is how you measure it. We know, for instance, that when people have a transcendent experience or a spiritual awakening, that the brain will change. So there's thickening of certain areas in the brain uh, because of that experience. On the other side of the coin, if we talk about people who have had a spiritual encounter and a transformational experience of some kind, their priorities in life change. So uh, it's measurable for sure. It just depends on how you come into it. And my guess is that it's going to be many, many doors, one room that will all end up in the same place, but just through different means. You may have heard of post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD. But Dr. Thomas Sulo says brain researchers are also finding evidence of an opposite phenomenon known as PTG, post-traumatic growth, where instead of being damaged after a traumatic encounter, we end up going through a positive psychological transformation. Trauma 
isn't inherent in the event, it's inherent in our interpretation of the event. That trauma releases a way of being in the world that uh, heretofore uh, nobody knew about. And uh, follow-up studies showed that that change was sustainable. They had greater purpose of meeting, greater spiritual awakening, uh, much greater connection to other folks. There's something about getting shaken to your core that also releases something else. I had never come so close to dying. If I had to live that same experience a thousand times, I, you know, I could die a thousand times. In some ways, it's a privilege. And sometimes it took us a long time to look at it that way. But I think also it behooves us to think about it as a responsibility as well. The vast majority of us are nine to five, live in a nice little safe band in the middle, Nothing, nothing is too, too amazing. Nothing is too, too scary. And you just go about your life day in, day out. You go like almost like a machine, a robot, monotonous, feeling nothing. Everything dulls out, quiets down. Everything becomes, dare I say, meaningless. Then all of a sudden, you now are looking if you have enough presence of mind to be like, wait, this is not normal. And I think... That's why we seek it. We seek it to feel these very basic human feelings. You will not enjoy something if you haven't suffered. You know, if I live that experience, and it's such a unique experience, and I survive to tell the tale, let me just humor myself and think, what do I do with that? Do I go back and live my life just the same way, or do I change some things? What do I change? How far do I go? Is there something for me to share with other people? Is the benefit of my experience can help others somehow? I have something special that I've lived through that very few people get to live through. And, you know, I want to make it count. This episode was produced by Ben Barqawi and edited by Hebel Sharif. Research and fact-checking by Iman Al-Sharif with additional support from Dina Sabri. Sound design by Yusuf Duazou. Well, that's a wrap. I hope you liked our series finale. Thank you to our experts, Daniel Tomasulo, Thraya Kanafani, Neil Stanley, Christoph Haneker, Anna Limke, Paul Forbes, and Benedict Duchan for their insights throughout the making of the series. And a big thank you to Amar Samra and Amar Noor for sharing their stories so openly. State of Mind is a production of Kerning Cultures Network. Much gratitude to our lead sound designer, Mohamed Khrizat, our marketing director, Bella Ibrahim, who also did the artwork for the show. Our content marketing strategist, Sumaya Abu Abdullah, and Umama Osman, who helped write the show's copy. And last but not least, Batul Khalifa, our superwoman project manager. If you enjoyed the show, spread the word by sharing it with your friends. And before you leave the app, please leave us a review. It makes our show more discoverable and we read every single one. I'm Lubna Munib. Thanks for listening. Even 
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you.